0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
0: And I'm Julie Douglas.
1: Julie, why is being on a plane the absolute worst? Like sitting there on the, on the plane, uh, waiting to take off, mm-hmm. it seems like every possible annoying thing in the world is inevitably trapped in there with you.
0: Well, I mean, your personal space is being invaded, right? There's right. elbow wars going on.
1: That's true.
0: There's stinky air being circulated.
1: Well, yeah, yeah.
0: No, no, really. I mean, think about it. Like all of a sudden 5 minutes into it, you've got, you know, 100 people crammed in this space. Stinky air is happening.
1: It's true. They're 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 rooting around for stuff. Some of them have brought on outside food. Yeah. The person next to you may have a pizza that they're pulling out of a satchel to uh, to chomp down on. And then a lot of it's all out of your control too. I mean, that's a, that's a huge thing too. You step on the plane, and it's definite plane rules. You step out of line, somebody's going to escort you away and like shackle you to a seat somewhere.
0: And they will, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Just so you know.
1: Oh, did that happen?
0: No. Okay. <laughs> but there are other elements going on, right? I mean, that really the five senses are engaged here, and and uh, most notably the uh, your your ears. Yeah. There's just they're being assaulted, right? Yeah. Because inevitably, when you get on that plane, there is going to be a baby crying (laughs) or a toddler whining. Yes. This is just the law of airplane travel.
1: Yeah. Generally, the dogs are going to be, uh, tranked. So you don't really have to worry about those. No, no. Sometimes I've heard, I've heard of people flying though where they're encountering cats. Uh, cats in little boxes on the seat next to them.
0: Cats cotterwalling.
1: Yeah, I guess. I mean, that's what they're going to do for the duration of a flight. If they do it for an entire drive across uh, town to a, to the vet, uh, I think it's guaranteed um, on a trans-oceanic flight.
0: Well, unless they get a mother's little helper. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Well,
1: that's true. You, you but, know, but, um, wink, wink. <laughs> but I mean, oh, okay, so sound is a big deal on the plane. Now, obviously, eventually there's going to be uh, an airplane engine and some nice sort of white noise hope, to sort yeah. of help. Eventually, you're going to be able to turn on your uh, iPod or, or other listening music uh, device without uh, being yelled at, and, and hopefully drown out some of the sound. But there's there's going to be some time there where you're going to have to deal with the crying baby, the dude that is coughing and sniffling, mm-hmm. um, the, the person who's like shuffling papers, the person who won't stop fidgeting with their seatbelt. Uh, the the person- cell phone talker. Oh, and the cell phone talker. Uh, well, luckily that'll, I, well, I don't know. Can you talk on a cell phone on some flights these
0: um, days? I think some transatlantic ones yeah. you can. I, I can't recall. I remember seeing a news item about it and sort of cringing inwardly. But certainly, everybody tries to finish up their conversations yes, before, before the plane
1: before they take takes off. off and, before then, they, and then right after then they land, descends, you have to yeah. have that weird call where you're getting a Generally, it's just like a ranging pickup. Like I'm here. This plane is awful. Um, I'll be out in ten minutes. But but when you first got on the plane, uh, there's no telling what it's going to be. Some snippet of some uh, some conversation that is just amazingly irritating or way too personal and you're like why i can't believe they're having this discussion uh, cause some people just That's have blinders true. on when That's they're, true. when they're having these, these discussions with, uh, with somebody and you're like, whoa, that is way too much detail to just be shoveling out into the aisle on the airplane.
0: And it's the worst because you are, you're only hearing half of it. And the, yes. the half of it that you are hearing sometimes is so, like you say, horrendous. You're like, really? You don't need to be airing your dirty laundry. And I only know half of what you're talking yeah. about. So obviously what we're talking about today is, is sort of the science of pet peeves. Why we react the way that we do.
1: Yes, because inevitably some scientist, uh, researcher, neuroscientist has been on a plane, put up with this stuff, and then (laughs) they've decided, that's it, I'm going back, I'm getting funding, I'm going to research this, we're going to get a test group together, I'm going to figure this out, and my next flight is going to be far less annoying.
0: Right. We hope, right? right? Or at least we've, we've uncovered the reasons why we're annoyed. According to an article on Wired by Alice Vincent, there is one sound more annoying than nails on a blackboard or even sirens. And uh-huh. that
1: is. The okay. whining child.
0: Yes, the whining child.
1: And not just the crying child, but the whining
0: specifically. The whining child, and and this sort of caterwauling actually peaks between the ages of two and four. In case you're wondering, this 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 frequency that toddlers seem to cultivate, and and just uh, resonate there out in the universe. So this is
1: like the mom. I don't want to in a bum bum bum. That Ooh, one, right?
0: That kind of yeah, 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 you got it. Um, oh, yeah, that. <laughs> Um, and it doesn't matter if you're a parent or not. It it affects everybody equally. Yeah. It bothers everyone. Um, in a study published in the Journal of Social Evolutionary and Cultural so- Psychology, participants were asked to do subtraction problems while listening to an infant crying, uh, also regular speech, silence, whining, and a high-pitched table saw. <laughs> <laughs> and motherese. Motherese. Now,
1: <laughs> now can you give, a, as a mother, can you give an example of motherese?
0: I can you give? Whoa, oh, oh, but I know, right? That just that just made me feel uh. dirty. Um this is that sort of exaggerated baby talk, and it's universal. It doesn't right. matter what language you speak in. There's there's motherese, and we do it when we talk to babies, and we do it when we talk to our pets, and oh, sometimes yeah. to our I significant mean, others. I I, know, I don't.
1: generally don't use that voice um when talking to my significant other or my cat, but occasionally somebody else will be introduced to the cat, and they'll like break out some motherese on them. I'm always kind of like, oh wait, don't talk to my cat that way. She's not she's not accustomed to this. <laughs>
0: That's interesting. You're like, don't expose my cat to, to Mother Ease. She's going to expect this. Or is that what you're thinking?
1: I don't know. I just think it might warp her somehow, you know? It's an irritating sound. And I'm like, oh, don't inflict that on me. Don't inflict that on the cat either.
0: Well, the worst, though, I think, is when people flirt in Mother Ease. And oh. it reminds me of that Seinfeld episode in which Jerry and his girlfriend started calling each other Schmoopy. I
1: don't oh, know if you remember. So when you're
0: Shmoopy. No, you're Schmoopy.
1: Well, and this, I guess, this also kind of ties into the whole, um, the whole sexy baby voice, that, which I just uh, don't get. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but it, it seems to be some more levels of annoying. Maybe yeah. not quite as as bad. I mean, and I don't know if it's been uh, empirically studied uh, like the motherese. Um,
0: oh, what the sexy baby voice?
1: Yeah, yeah, a yeah. Nice I don't peer-reviewed think... study of the sexy baby voice.
0: I don't think that there's any sort of uh brain development that is going on with the baby sexy voice, but you mm-hmm. know, at least with mother ease and with babies, we, we can see an actual tie there between, you know, cooing to a baby and talking in mother ease and the child actually understanding that this voice is specifically for him or her gotcha. and to pay yeah. attention and that these words like din din, <laughs> <laughs> now I know how to completely annoy you, this is awesome, um, for dinner, that mm-hmm. is short for dinner and so they sort of understand, uh, you know, phonologically from mother ease, but... That being said, mother is as annoying as it is, is still less annoying than the baby whinings because because when those people were doing uh the, the math, the subtractions, they found that uh they made more mistakes per math problems completed. When listening to the wines than any other speech patterns or noises. Huh. And just to be clear, too, when they used the, the, the language samples, the speech patterns, what they did is they scrambled it so that uh, or excuse me, they didn't scramble. it. They they had it in another language. And the reason they did that is because uh, they didn't want people to be distracted by what was actually being said. They just wanted to hear someone talking.
1: Wow. Huh. I wonder if anyone has ever used this to try and uh, get some sort of break on their taxes or excuse some sort of uh, clerical error in uh, bookkeeping where they're like, I'm sorry, I work at a preschool. <laughs> Look at the study. I, I was I was doing really good to get any of this right.
0: I was on an airplane trying to complete the report. There was a baby <laughs> whining. What was I to do? It's true. But uh, it is. But, kind but of... this
1: is tied to an evolutionary thing. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. the idea is, I mean, we've discussed before, like the big evolutionary push is reproduce make another little person, and uh, push that person out, continue the the, the gene, continue the species. Mm-hmm. And so therefore we have it built in that it's like, whoa, one of the larval humans uh, requires <laughs> sustenance. Stop what you're doing, tend to that, and then you can get by with whatever the other thing is because this is the thing that is genetically most important.
0: Yes, the larval humans are trying to get the parents' yes. attention, and that's what co-author Rosemary Sokol-Cheng seems to think she's the... Uh, she ran the study. So, yes, there, it's something, it's the sort of pitch that could drill through any distraction to get your parents' attention. The
1: larvae require candy. The larvae require toys. Whatever it is, larva, it's more important the larva than checking have a out.
0: <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I will really stop doing that. Um, so that explains, that explains whining, the, the, the child caterwauling. Uh, what explains, The annoyance that we feel when we hear only half of a conversation.
1: Yeah, this is really interesting. And uh, we touched on it earlier, half of a conversation. Uh, We're eavesdropping on half of something. And so our our brains cannot help but follow along and try and make sense of what we're hearing. I mean, our senses have evolved to make sense of the world around us Mm -hmm. and help us navigate this world. And uh, and therefore you've got this half of a conversation going on, even if you don't want to, even if you know it's the dumbest conversation on the planet or it's something just completely offensive. And, you know, that you are growing stupider uh, every <laughs> second that you listen to it, you, your brain cannot shut it off. Um, there was an interesting uh, study into this by a graduate student at Cornell University. Mm-hmm. Um, he subjected people to having to listen to these half conversations. And then he uh, he uh, had another group of people that he had listened to. The same conversation, mm-hmm. but, but with the words garbled. So you were hearing not the, not the words, but just the sound, just okay. kind of a, you know, kind of. So you of a, weren't, you weren't
0: hearing a pattern yeah. or, or a story or half of a story being told. Right. You were just hearing gobbledygook.
1: Yeah. You're just hearing gobbledygook, the whole, um, you know, the, the mother on peanuts kind of a thing. Uh, because the idea, <laughs> wah, wah, wah. yeah. Cause the idea was, um, are, are we annoyed by the sound? Is it just the sound of somebody else yabbering when we're trying to do something? Or mm-hmm. is is it tied to the words? Is it tied to our brains trying to figure out the meaning of this conversation? And it's tied to the meaning. That was what he found. The, the person was far more distracted, um, our, our, our thought process and our problem solving abilities were far more impacted by mm-hmm. the actual worded conversation as opposed to the gobbledygook.
0: And I thought that was interesting because a lot of times you and I have talked about how the brain is just one of its primary functions is predictive modeling. Right. I mean, it's always trying to, to figure out what the next step is, what's going on, what, what is the pattern in front of it unfolding? Yeah. So it drives the brain crazy when it only has half of the information.
1: Yeah. Lewis Black, I mean, c- comedians love talking about, uh, things that annoy them. It's like like, I guess 80 80 to 90% of anybody's shtick. Mm -hmm. But uh, Louis Black has this bit where he's talking about overhearing part of a conversation, uh, I believe, about um, it was something to the effect of uh, a woman saying, "And then if I didn't have that horse, I wouldn't have gotten into college." Yeah, I forget. It involved college and a horse.
0: And that's the only piece he heard.
1: Yeah, that's the only piece he heard. And so he does this long bit about where, where he's just flying into a rage about his inability to understand what the context could possibly be for such a ludicrous statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and it's a great example of how I think any of us feel on some level when we're hearing this conversation. Like, what was that person talking about? I remember. Um, I remember being in an airport and overhearing just, just one snippet. It wasn't enough to be annoying, but I heard some guy say, yeah, I'm about to have to break through some membranes. And, and that was, that was it. And then, (laughs) so for, for a while, it's like, what membranes was he going to break through? Like I'm,
0: is this metaphorical or yeah, yeah. I'm
1: I'm picturing him like, you know, he's like shrinking down fantastic voyage style and like, you know, journeying through some cellular tissue or something. I don't know. It just made, or is it some slang that I'm just not hip to? I don't know.
0: I love that. You're like, is he turning into a blood nanobot? <laughs> um, The Science of What Bugs Us by Joe Palka and Flora Lichtman is is a book that actually covers a lot of this uh, material. And uh, co-author Joe Palka actually says that you can, you can actually change the circumstances uh, um, when you are being annoyed by by something like this. And he calls it cognitive restructuring. Uh, He says that when you're faced with a situation in which you're annoyed, a cell phone call, a seemingly endless line that you're standing in, or a mosquito buzzing around you, you can practice cognitive restructuring. So his, his example is, you can tell yourself that the mosquito is just a part of the life flow in the world, and I shouldn't be mad. It's just trying to do what it is genetically programmed to do. And that... That sort of cognitive restructuring will alleviate your your symptoms of annoyance. Huh. I'm well, going to try it. Okay.
1: Well, I found that I've, um, one thing I try and do is just uh, tell myself, don't be a jerk, don't be an idiot. You oh, know? yeah, yeah. That, that tends to, <laughs> to help. Like, if I, I'll find like it'll be a situation where, um, and, and I think this is something a lot of people do, especially in this day and age, something annoys you and you have to vent, you have to say something about it. So uh, in our social media age, there's this huge um, uh, temptation to do a tweet about it. Right. Right. If, uh, and 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 I, I find it'll be a situation where like somebody has like a really annoying aftershave or deodorant on and I'll just really want to do a tweet about how I sound it smells like a. a a stick of Right Guard exploded in the office, but but I hold off because I'm like that's that's just doing nobody any good. It'll be like a moment of relief, and then people will be like, "Wow, this is a great Twitter feed." He all he does is gripe about the smells in the office,
0: right? And so instead, are you uh, now going to start saying to yourself? right guard it exists in the
1: world yes exactly it It exists it
0: helps them to not stink
1: exactly well may you know right guard is better than the alternative i guess right right so but uh it is worth noting that things like right guard or fake lavender you know that's mine yeah and well fake lavender is such a weird thing because actual lavender smells so good it's wonderful yeah Yeah. but fake lavender is like
0: uh the death of my nose follicles yeah
1: it's like being gassed and um and I mean, and that is is, uh, is specifically tied to our genetic structure. There's a gene called TRP A1 that's TRP A1, and um, in mammals, it's prim- primarily a receptor for chemical irritants. I mean, because it basically breaks down, you can't feel your DNA getting mutated. So, <laughs> so our bodies uh, need another alarm system. Um, and and they they've done these uh, experiments where they found that if they remove this from a fruit fly, it'll lap up cinnamon water. Like it was just normal water. Um, They've removed it from mice, and the mice will just eat a whole bunch of wasabi and not care. It's used to help us pick up on harmful chemicals, but it's also it can also be uh be set off by by extremes of colder heat. Mm -hmm. It's uh it basically this kicks in any time our bodies meet the outside world. So any number of like chemical or physical irritants. That's what's happening. And And that's really
0: interesting. Why you would be annoyed by those smells because on on a cellular level it's saying like this is danger, right? Or could. Potential danger—we don't know. Right?
1: Yeah, yeah, potentially, and certainly there has been. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure about current products, but there in the past there has have been some concerns about various air fresheners. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there still are for a lot of the products out there uh, about some of the chemicals that are involved, and in that's why people end up going for these these more natural products in many cases because it's this whole question mark of what am I actually pumping into the air? Mm-hmm. So our bodies, uh, yeah, our bodies actually uh, get in on the conversation too, and they're like, "Whoa, I think uh, this might be harmful." Hmm. let's get away from this particular odor or funk.
0: The funk coming at us, the cloud of fake lavender. Yes. Yes, rushing toward
1: us. And uh, actually that brings up another uh, point when we're talking about actual funk uh, in terms of like hygiene <laughs> yeah. or also another uh, huge thing uh, on airplanes, coughing and sneezing. Another stand-up comedian, Aziz Ansari, has a bit where he's uh, he's talking about somebody like flying into a rage at him about mm-hmm. him having the sniffles. And he and the person's just like, are you gonna have the sniffles for you know however many hours? And and he was like, whoa, that was you know really an inappropriate amount of anger over someone having the sniffles. But it can be annoying. On one level, it is like this unpredictable sound. Like when's it gonna stop? When's it gonna happen again? You know. Mm-hmm. And then if you add into that someone not covering their mouth when they cough, like that's the the worst. And I think I think the the reasons here are pretty obvious. And that is that. This is somebody else's hygiene issue going on. They've got some sort of funk that we don't want to catch. So it's it's natural that we would want to avoid it at all costs.
0: Ah, uh, okay. And so that's why you see people on the airplane sometimes like constantly spraying their hands yes. and cleaning.
1: Or just, or just bringing on like a tub of it and just, you can't do that anymore. But used to you would bring on a tub of hand sanitizer you, and you just, spe- and just glob it on. Specifically would. Right. You'd want a barrier of globbed yeah. uh, hand sanitizer. Yeah. I'm so but, glad
0: they don't do that, let you do that anymore.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Well, even on, uh, taking the train to work, you know, somebody will cough and instantly all I can think about are those images where they, they show how far a cough travels, you know, yeah. where they show this like giant red cloud that stems out. And I'm like, Oh, like even when somebody's covering their mouth, I'm just kind of cringe. And then yeah. if they don't, I'm just like, Oh, disease vector. Throw that person from the See, train.
0: See, that's it. I mean, that's because you're, you, you are witnessing all of that. So yeah, we're, we're trying to detect disease, um, and even decay, right? Because yeah. certain smells. And we're like, Whoa. Um, it's all very interesting how we are doing this on, on an unconscious level.
1: Oh, here's another one. Um, uh, for our, our, I think our last little bit on this one, I was once uh, on the train and it was, it was pretty crowded. And, uh, and uh, somebody gets on and they're having a loud, annoying, inappropriate conversation where it's like really mad. They're really irritated on this phone call. And then they, they add, and this train is really crowded. And you know, that's one of my pet peeves. And I'm thinking that's, that can't really be your pet peeve. Don't act like you're the, like one of the few people on earth who doesn't dig a crowded train. Like unless you were a, right. um, you know, like a, a groper on a, like a Japanese subway or you're a pickpocket, uh, you're you're probably not going to be really <laughs> right. wild about the idea of a really uber crowded train.
0: But it's also a, a regular condition of of uh, at least in our city mm-hmm. at peak times. Yeah, you know, so you you come to expect this. right? Yeah,
1: but we still we never get quite used to it. You know.
0: Yeah, I suppose. Like,
1: there's nothing, there's nothing sweeter than an empty train pulling up at the track to take you to work.
0: I will say that at the peak of summer, Mm -hmm. when you're in the train and it's just like it's 110 outside and 120 inside the train, um, it does kind of start to smell like the reptile house at the zoo. (laughs) It does. It does. There's a certain funk. uh, But, all of this being said, we still have not answered the question about why nails on a blackboard are so excruciating. Oh, yeah. I was kind of getting into the,
1: the whole crowd thing. Yeah. Maybe we should go back. We'll get, we'll get the crowds, but let's, let's go to the nail board thing.
0: Well, before yeah. we go to the nail board thing, we need to take a break.
1: Oh, yeah, we do. I know it's annoying, but we'll be right back after this. This podcast is brought to you by Intel, the sponsors of Tomorrow, and the Discovery Channel. At Intel, we believe curiosity is the spark which drives innovation. Join us at Curiosity.com and explore the answers to life's questions. And we're back. So, um, yeah, we have crowds to discuss, and we also have nails on a chalkboard. I mean, that's the big one. So let's go ahead and discuss nails on a chalkboard. Nails it's, on a chalkboard. It is the iconic annoying sound.
0: And I think everyone responds the same to this. And this, again, this is a universal thing. Uh, the jury is still out on exactly why nails on chalkboards send shivers down our spine and make us clench our teeth. But a 1986 study by doctors Lynn Halpern, Randolph Blake, and James Hildebrand subjected 24 volunteers.
1: Hildebrand, like the, the fantasy, uh, artist who did all the Tolkien illustrations? Yes. Oh, okay. That's
0: what, I mean, the name caught my eye too. Um, 24 volunteers, I'm going to put volunteers in, in quotation marks, I think, Uh to 16 different sounds and found that the sound made uh, from dragging a three-pronged garden fork dragged across <laughs> a piece of slate was the worst, which okay. is kind of like, well, yeah, of course, no doubt. Uh, it was thought that the high frequencies were actually the culprit, but they found that when they removed the... the um, high frequencies from the sound recording that that had no difference.
1: Oh, so it was the, it was the combination of the high and the low?
0: It was actually the middle frequencies that were driving everybody nuts. Uh, but still, no solid reason for the response. Though the study hazard a, a hazarded a guess in which they posited that the frequency is really similar to the warning cries of certain monkeys and apes.
1: Oh, okay. So and- on, on a very like ancient level, we're we're back to this uh, primordial form in the forest. Mm-hmm. And, in, and typically, in in forest settings or or even on the savannas, you'll have multiple animals that are present, but. But uh, but one prey animal, say a giraffe or 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 one monkey species will put out the call. And be like, oh, there's a predator in the area and everything will respond. Right. Yeah. We see this in uh, various nature
0: uh, right. documentaries. And one of the the co-authors, Rand of uh, Blake, said, you know, he he feels like this is actually a good theory in that um, primate warning cries are are Uh, Some of the recordings that he has of them, he says, if I didn't tell you what you were listening to, you could easily think you were listening to fingernails on a chalkboard. But um, the study's other co-author, James Hildebrand, uh, or Hildenbrand, I should say, he disagrees. He says that the nails on chalkboard zone is just a very particular sound in a very particular reaction huh. and it's not the kind of reaction that you would have if you were encountered a dangerous animal.
1: Well, yeah, I have to say like when I when I've heard that sound in the past, I, I don't feel like I'm having that oh my goodness there's a saber toothed tiger in the area response. Yeah, like, there's it's not no a flight, flight or, or fight. Yeah. yeah. It's more of like oh, stop it. Seriously, yeah, dude. Yeah.
0: And he says that the response has to do more with like friction and memory and huh. that it's not sound per se, but it's the image that's conjured up during that scraping. Which I oh. thought was really interesting because there is uh, there is something very uh, tactile even happening, even though it's a sound that you're hearing. It's something that you can almost feel as if you were doing it yourself.
1: Well, it it also I I don't know. It, you just can't help but think of claws, you know, it's yeah. like claws and like Freddy Krueger or something or or some sort of like sharp implement. It's just. And it's also the person like it's in it's. In many cases, I mean, you certainly, uh, you have situations where uh, a teacher will do it accidentally. But so yeah, often, goes, ah! so often, it's was, it's was done by some jerk who's going who's trying to get a rise out of somebody. Mm-hmm. So you end up associating uh, not uh, associating the sound with the type of person who does annoying things just to watch people react.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's a very Bart Simpson move.
1: Yeah, that d- definitely, definitely a Bart move. Yeah. yeah crowds crowds yes so yeah this this one lady on the train's pet peeve of large crowds <laughs> why is this annoying like why don't we just want to get in there and just go elbow to elbow and just dig off the body heat like penguins
0: well again i think it's that predictive modeling right because right. if you have a crowd swelling around you 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 no longer have these visual markers you're kind of getting lost in the crowd you you don't you're getting disoriented and that could have, you know, have these feelings of panic or specifically annoyance because, hey, where am I? You're, you're in my way. And all of a sudden um, this becomes sort of like a threat to you.
1: Right. Yeah. And there have been, uh, been various computer models that have been put together about how crowds yeah. behave. And I thought it was interesting that they pointed out the larger a crowd becomes, the more – they uh, the people in the crowd begin behaving like molecules in a fluid, bouncing off one mm-hmm. of the, one of another uh, at random, and eventually you reach the point where it becomes uh, so uh, jam packed that there's there's no control. Like no yeah. no individual is in control of the crowd. It's like the airplane situation of who's in control. I'm not in control. What's going on? except on a much more real scale. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why you have various large gatherings where uh, things get out of hand and people end up getting trampled or pushed up against a fence. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, soccer riot, even on stuff like the the, the Hajj in, uh, in Mecca. I mean, it's the whole reason that when, when you have large groups of people gathering, police like to to, to have a, a heads up on it, on it occurring. Um, one of the reasons, like it or not, that um, – uh, social media departments of various uh, police, uh, departments are increasingly, uh, focusing on, uh, flash mobs. Mm-hmm. Because if there's going to be a lot of people gathering in a place, even if it's something sort of simple, like, oh, you know, a thousand people wearing party hats. Well, that's great, but it's still going to be a thousand people suddenly appearing in a tight space. Right. And that brings up various wild cards of, uh, of human behavior and just sort of groupthink or in, in this case, it's not even groupthink. It's just, Bodies behaving like molecules in a mm-hmm, space.
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting too. I think in some of those studies, uh, particularly people who study um, like egress flows for public transportation, mm-hmm. they notice that when it starts to get somewhat crowded, that people actually do move in patterns like V formations. And it's weird that they naturally do this. It's sort of like the emergence that we've talked about right. before, how people just it's like there's sort of like one brain that takes over, um, and and that actually those sort of formations aren't really helpful because they block. You know, uh, ways that you can sort of navigate the crowd, but then there is a tipping point where the crowd becomes, there's so many people in the crowd that, like you said, them, it's like they behave erratically and it's like molecules bouncing off one another, but it's really fascinating.
1: Right. And then you, you like you say, you get in a big enough crowd and you're going to lose your bearings. You're not going to know where you are. And that's yeah. going to, that. Excites and frightens frightens us on a on a very primitive level mm-hmm. because um, I mean just rewind back to uh, to ancient times and imagine yourself in some sort of a setting where there's the potential for that saber toothed tiger to be mm-hmm. around the corner and you don't know where you are you don't know where you are in relation to your home base to cover to uh, where you just came from and to where you're going uh, your very life may be at stake
0: right and if you don't have that blueprint that predictive modeling then everything is a threat right because right. you're taking all that stimuli in.
1: Yeah. And I do applaud, uh, Atlanta's, uh, Marta Public Transportation for significantly cutting down on the number of saber-toothed tiger attacks that occur every year.
0: Well, I think it's all their, their, uh, the posters that they've put up. Yeah. It's just, it's, uh, there's a lot more awareness now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Don't, don't feed them. It mm-hmm. just encourages more saber-toothed tigers to run around on the tracks mm-hmm. and definitely don't approach them and try to pet them. Yeah, Yeah.
0: even if they're wearing a top hat.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, pet peeves, there you go. We covered some of them, not all of them, but some of the big ones anyway, and the ones that have been studied. Though, I imagine everybody has some variation uh, on these that they find just extra annoying. Well, yeah, and
0: some of it depends on the environment in which you grew up in, right? Right. That's that's definitely going to color your perception.
1: Yeah, yeah. This podcast though, it also serves as a nice sort of part two to the previous podcast we did about uh, like why is the sound of gum chewing annoying?
0: Uh, Misophonia.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, we actually received a few different listener mails about that one. We heard from listener Anne who writes in about misophonia. She says, "Wow, I may have this, but I think it's also connected to my ADHD. I have a worker who pops her gum and makes weird stuff nasally sounds, and it drives me nuts. I can't concentrate on conversations if there's quiet music or talking going on in the background. My absolute worst trigger is the sound of something dragging on a cheap carpeting. An example of uh, the kind you find in offices or dorms, especially socks on furniture or furniture dragging on it. Socks alone bother me and I hate wearing them for the sounds they make when being put on or taken off. Even thinking about it makes me feel icked out. So uh, that that there's some insight there into a very particular uh, annoyance. In this case, socks.
0: I, I wouldn't have guessed socks.
1: I, I wouldn't, and I and I may have been kind of snickering a little because I I mean for me socks are an absolute good. I think I like put on pair of socks that's
0: because they're soft and, they're soft it's yeah. good time but again misophonia is is those subtle sounds exactly. that drive people yeah. crazy i recently read where someone was driven nuts by the sound of balloons being blown up and then tied I together saw that.
1: yeah somebody was ranting about um yeah specifically like you you go to an event and there's somebody making balloon animals and it's yeah.
0: like yeah it's, it's, it's like, like sounds, magicians yeah. clowns i kind of go medieval on because it drives me nuts
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, well there you go. So yeah, I can definitely understand how socks could be annoying to somebody. It's you know, this subtle sound in the background that uh, eventually leads to madness. Uh we also heard from a uh, by not. the name of uh, <laughs> by the name of Ian. <laughs> Ian in and says, I'm a big fan of the podcast, started listening during the summer, and now I've listened to almost all of them. I just finished the Misophonia podcast, which totally blew my mind, pun not intended I've wondered why the sound of eating eating bothers me the way it does, uh, except when I do it. It's not fun having this. I really like food and the people I'm with, but it's incredibly hard to concentrate and keep cool when all you hear is chewing. Not to mention you feel uh, awful because something people need to do and generally enjoy, and it creates uh, uh, layers of unwanted emotion. So I, I found that interesting to hear from somebody who, who seems to experience something uh, at least closer to misophonia yeah. than, uh, than than a lot of us actually experience. Well,
0: and, and, and I thought what was interesting about that is uh, when we were looking into it, people who – ignored their feelings tended to to actually experience them even more. And so mm-hmm. I can't imagine how difficult that must be because you're trying to manage the situation, right? right? And you're with your loved ones, your friends, your family trying to just eat a dinner and, and to to feel that sort of anxiety just must be unbearable. So I know that there are some things that you can do, some um cognitive behavior therapy. Right. Uh, for that. So so although there's no cure, there are some some avenues you can take.
1: Yeah, definitely. And uh not related to the misophonia We uh, also heard from a listener by the name of Annie, who also happens to uh, edit this show for us. Annie! Yeah. Uh, Annie writes in and says, um, At the end of your nightmare podcast, yeah, I know this is a little late, you called for accounts from people who have died in their dreams. For eight years now, I've had dreams with a continuing storyline that takes place in a futuristic, war-torn world of genetic modification. The dreams don't come at frequent intervals. Um, Sometimes I have to wait weeks to find out what happened after I I woke up from the last one. Each new one picks up where the previous one left off. The characters have undergone the passage of time. There are flashbacks to other dreams, and I can never predict what's going to happen. I've woken up stunned at the outcome of these dreams before and will consciously try every night to return to the story, usually to no avail. The funny thing about it, to me, is that the character, and I say character because it was me, but much more awesome in every way. Uh, that was uh, based off me in the dream died after only about a year. So I'm not even in them anymore. Uh, I see it from the point of view of one of the other characters. The POV switched over to the new character after the death of my own, which can sometimes be strange and unsettling to feel uh, something so strongly while dreaming and then wake up and have your own very different take on the whole thing. Anyway, just thought you might find it interesting. Love the podcast. Keep up the awesomeness. Well, that's a pretty awesome dream on several levels.
0: Uh, yeah, actually, I was so excited to hear about that because I've had something similar like that, uh-huh. but not to the degree that she has. And I really think that we should just all encourage her to write those dreams down, because right. I really feel like there are like three novels here, or exactly. Mani- a Mandatory work
1: time napping. I'm going to talk to Roxanne about getting that in place. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah Annie, Annie needs to go into the sleep chamber and, uh, and create some dreams. Yeah, because
1: I've mentioned before how I return to this setting that's like some sort of unreal public transport underground train kind of situation. Mm-hmm. But there's not like an overarching story or characters, it's just kind of a place that yeah. I seem to wind up. Uh, it seems very much a product of my daily commuting. But this, this is a whole other thing. And, I mean, to be killed off in your own dream after yeah. a year, yeah. written, written out of your dream, that's...
0: But I love that it continued. Yeah. It was like, oh, okay, that character came to an end. We're still going forward with this uh, storyline here.
1: Maybe it's not a dream, or maybe this is the dream.
0: Are, are you going think, parallel universe with it? Could me? be.
1: So, so Annie, uh, when you listen to this, just consider the fact that maybe this is the dream. And uh, the real world <laughs> is the one where um, you're dead, I guess. Um, okay, no, that, that, no, just... no, 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 no.
0: That is, no. Uh, if you're listening to us, Annie, write down the dreams because no, okay. we want to read the story.
1: So uh, if you have something you want to share with us, uh, be it a pet peeve, um, a sound that annoys you, or some strange other world that you go to in your dreams, um that involve the future of humanity. Let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. We are Blow the Mind on both of those, and we regularly update those feeds with uh, all sorts of links to stuff we're uh, researching, stuff we're writing, stuff we're thinking about podcasting about, and we're always uh, ready to, to hear from you there.
0: Yep, and you can always drop us a line at Blow the Mind at dot com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow.